Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie R. Cox. Here are today's top stories. The entire Uvalde School District police force gets suspended. The district says they've uncovered concerns with department operations. New York City declares a state of emergency over illegal immigrants bust from border states. The mayor says the city never asked for this. The latest job numbers are out and President Biden is touting them as historic progress. But some Republicans call it the worst jobs report of the year. Ukraine's President Zelensky says his recent remarks on the war were misinterpreted. He had been quoted as saying that the West should initiate preemptive strikes on Russia to prevent a nuclear war. Why did Ye, also known as Kanye West, wear a White Lives Matter shirt to his fashion show? He drew much criticism for wearing it. Now he's explaining why he did. We open with some updates on the school shooting that took place in Uvalde, Texas in May. The Uvalde School District announced today that it has suspended its entire school police force. The district suspended all activities of the de police department. They also placed two officials on administrative leave. The Uvalde School District is now asking the Texas Department of Public Safety to provide additional troopers for campus and extracurricular activities. They say they are confident that staff and student safety will not be compromised during the transition. The district explained the decision, saying, quote, Recent developments have uncovered additional concerns with department operations. Earlier this week, the school district fired a newly hired former Texas trooper who was part of the response team on the day of the shooting. And a state of emergency declared in New York City. Mayor Eric Adams says the city is in a crisis over the influx of illegal immigrants being bussed in from border states. New York City Mayor Eric Adams announced Friday that he has declared a state of emergency and issued an executive order over the buses of illegal immigrants coming from border states. He said the city receives on average five to six buses per day and that nine buses arrived just Thursday alone. We are in a crisis situation. New York City now has more than 61,000 people in our shelter system. That includes thousands of New Yorkers experiencing homelessness and thousands of asylum seekers who have been bussed in over the past few months from other parts of the country. The mayor says the city expects to spend at least $1 billion on this crisis by the end of the fiscal year. He also claims New York's right to shelter laws and social services are being exploited by others for political gain. New Yorkers are angry. I am angry too. We have not asked for this. There was never any agreement to take on the job of supporting thousands of asylum seekers. This responsibility was simply handed to us without warning as buses began showing up. The city is now asking for immediate help from the federal government and the state government. New York City is doing our part and now others must step up and join us. From our federal partners, we need legislation that will allow these asylum seekers to legally work now, not in six months. And we need a realistic decompression strategy at the border that would slow the outflow of asylum seekers. 
According to Adams, New York's shelter system is now operating at near 100% capacity. His executive order on Friday formally directs all relevant agencies to set up relief centers. And to speed up the process, he suspended certain land use requirements. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Mayor Adams and Texas Governor Greg Abbott have been publicly feuding over migrant busing for months. Abbott blames the Biden administration's policies for the border crisis and has called on officials to visit Texas and see firsthand how the communities there are affected. This fiscal year, Border Patrol had over 2.5 million encounters with illegal immigrants at the southern border. NTD Cindy Drucker went to Texas to see firsthand the impact of the influx on the locals and on the immigrants. Brooks County, Texas, a small region of around 7,000 residents, yet it's the nation's busiest corridor for illegal immigration. Border Patrol erected a checkpoint in the county in the 1940s. Anyone trying to avoid the checkpoint has to go around it on a dangerous and often deadly trek through the brush. We went down there to speak with Sheriff Benny Martinez, who often provides medical assistance to the lost or injured migrants. He says many of the people trying to come suffer terrible consequences. We've had uh, so far 79 deaths that we've recovered from the brush that don't, the assistance doesn't get there as soon as it should. He added that if the checkpoint wasn't there, even more people would die because of illegal drugs that are often smuggled across the border. The sheriff says not all injuries or casualties suffered by the migrants are due to the harsh elements. Some are brutal acts of violence. We also handle sexual assault cases that occur in the brush. And in, in visiting with some of these females, they know it's going to happen, and they prepare themselves for it to happen. The citizens of the county are also impacted. The sheriff says law enforcement spends about 85% of its time on migrant-related issues. When we go out and recover a body, a minimal time is three to four hours. And having one, just one deputy that's working at, at that time pretty much leaves the county open, right? So those other domestic issues are going to have to put on hold until they get back. He says the only solution to these problems is a secure border. But he says it's hard to achieve that with a divided government. We also went into the brush with Captain Daniel Davila to get a first-hand look at the area. These, this is what they basically walk through. And it's not just for this area. I mean, and the train can change. It gets really hot out there. So that's where we, they run into medical issues, dehydration, and stuff that's going to hinder them to make that, that trip north. And they don't, you know, the, the smugglers who are bringing them, they don't care. Literally, they're dead weight to them, you know. I don't care. I mean, literally, if you drop dead, they'll get someone else to replace you. Captain Davila says family members of lost immigrants often ask law enforcement to find their remains so they can get some sense of closure. So that's another sad thing. They call you and they're like, I know he's here or she's here and she's out in this wooded area by a windmill. Where would you begin? You know, it's those are the stories that are really rough. Sometimes you go home and you just like, you know, wow, there's someone out there and there's really, you're, you're powerless. You can watch the full episode on the next The Nation Speaks, airing Saturday at 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. on NTD Television, or you can find us online after 4 p.m. at ntd.com. Cindy Drucker, NTD News. And President Biden cheers the latest jobs report, what the numbers tell us, and why Republicans say it's the worst jobs report of the year. NTD's Iris Tao with more. 
Speaking in a manufacturing facility in Maryland, President Biden tells the latest job numbers released on Friday. We're proving that our best days are ahead of us, not behind us. Just look at today's jobs report. Our economy created 263,000 jobs last month. That's 10 million jobs since I've come into office. America's employers added 263,000 jobs in September. While that's still robust, it's the lowest monthly growth since January, showing that hiring has slowed in recent months. Meanwhile, the president says... The pace of job growth is cooling while still powering our recovery forward. And Biden also touts what he considers his legislative wins, including the Inflation Reduction Act. Give families a little bit of breathing room. And that's what we've done. We passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which the name doesn't matter a lot to people, but it's going to give Medicare. In a Friday statement, however, the Republican National Committee says Biden is, quote, completely detached from reality. It further calls the September jobs report the worst jobs report of the year, citing high inflation and the fact that the U.S. economy has now shrunk for two consecutive quarters, meeting an informal definition of a recession. But Biden defends the numbers and accuses Republicans of basically arguing that good news for the economy is bad news is bad news for America. That's if they're rooting for fewer jobs and lower wages. Meanwhile, a recent report by the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas notes that most workers' real wages have failed to keep up with inflation. And just how much of that erosion is taking place will be seen when the latest inflation numbers come out next week. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. President Biden's marijuana pardon. What kind of reaction is it receiving? Democrats are quick to push for more, calling to legalize the drug, while Republicans are slow to react. NTD's Melina Weiskopf with more. As the president grapples with soaring inflation, crime, and an unprecedented illegal immigration surge just five weeks away from midterms, Biden unexpectedly fulfills a campaign promise. No one should be in jail just for using or possessing marijuana. People who have marijuana convictions on the record won't have to report them in the future. Biden's encouraging governors to follow suit, though the pardon only applies to possessing marijuana, not to distributing it, and it does not apply to non-citizens. The drug is also now under review to determine whether to change its classification. Marijuana is now classified higher than fentanyl and methamphetamine, drugs that are driving the overdose epidemic. Advocates say it's long overdue. Democrats continue to push a bill to legalize the drug. The House passed one in April. At that time, Republican Representative Bob Good spoke with NTD on the issue. It has a mind-altering component to it. And when you look at states where it has been legalized, the increase in addiction, dependency, homelessness, the problems that have come. And so you know it's going to, again, increase the uh, the use of marijuana products for younger people at, a, at an earlier age, obviously, increase uh, youth addiction. Republican leadership has largely ignored Biden's pardon, with no public statements released yet from House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, or the Republican National Committee. Senator Tom Cotton did react quickly, calling it a desperate attempt to distract from failed leadership. Democrats were quick to praise the pardon and call for more. Senator Ron Wyden wrote, a review by HHS of how cannabis is scheduled is welcome, but those of us who have been advocating for reform, we already know that a comprehensive federal solution is needed. 
And when this bill passed the House back in April, three Republicans joined with Democrats to pass it, and it's looking like there's less Republican support over in the Senate. Senate Leader Chuck Schumer has so far refrained from bringing a marijuana bill to the floor because of the lack of support, but he says he is working to garner more support across the aisle in order to get something off to the White House. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said today that his recent comments on the war were mistranslated. Yesterday, he seemed to call for the West to initiate preemptive strikes against Russia. But he has since told the BBC he meant kicks, not strikes, referring to sanctions. It follows remarks from Russian President Vladimir Putin last month, who suggested Russia could use all the weapons in its arsenal if its territory is threatened. So where does the conflict stand today, and how can nuclear war be prevented? Earlier today, I spoke with retired U.S. Colonel and former Director of Cybersecurity for the Department of Defense, John Mills, for his perspective. John Mills, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you, Stephanie, again. Now, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky yesterday called for what was translated as preemptive strikes against Russia to prevent it from using nuclear weapons. Ukrainian officials have since walked these comments back, but there is some concern that the comments could further provoke Russia. What's your take on this? Well, yes, I was very startled and disturbed uh, by, well, because I heard about this in the, the Zelensky comments. Uh, we, uh, I think it should be nonpartisan American policy to ensure that one country is not beaten up and invaded by another neighboring bigger country. But these words uh, begin to mire the U.S. in uh, a situation that really is well beyond the scope and the framework of, of what, how and why we originally got involved. So very alarming comments, not constructive. I think it's hard to blame transi uh, translational issues on, on this comment. That was just, that was inappropriate. And we heard President Biden yesterday saying we're now closer to a nuclear Armageddon than we have been since the Cuban Missile Crisis. What do you think is the likelihood given the recent developments? Well, I hope, uh, I hope not. Uh, I'm a child of the Cold War days, and I first came into the military uh, during the height of the Cold War and the Reagan buildup. I remember what it was like to have nuclear missiles uh, almost literally down the street uh, with the Nike nuclear-tipped missiles not far away from my home and uh, other nuclear facilities close by. I think it's very dangerous, and I don't think uh, President Biden either should be flippant uh, or um, make any comments that uh, uh, provoke conflict. Because in this situation, clarity assures peace. Any kind of blurriness or lack of clarity increases the likelihood of conflict, especially nuclear conflict. So in that context, what can the U.S. do to prevent this worst-case scenario from happening? Well, there used to be a day when both Democrats and Republicans understood the concept of deterrence and nuclear deterrence. Clearly, uh, many have forgotten what this means. Uh, they feel that if we show weakness, uh, if we put away weapons, uh, that that will somehow generate peace. No, actually, it's the opposite. In this arena, this is all about clarity and resolve. Resolve means 
we should we have a roughly 5500 nuclear warheads 2500 of those are strategic we should deploy every single strategic warhead immediately if that means we start putting uh, additional warheads on top because right now minuteman has one it can take three trident can take up to 10 they are really going out to sea with one is my under unclassified understanding we can put more warheads on top of those missiles we need to reintroduce uh, if the Biden team has taken it offline, the nuclear-tipped tomahawks that President Trump uh, put back into effect at the at the end of his first term, those nuclear-tipped tomahawks have dramatic, dramatic deterrent effect on Russia and the senior partner, China. Russia says Western countries are contributing to this conflict. Do you think that holds any weight? Well, uh, I think there is nothing wrong and it's appropriate to provide arms and equipment to Ukraine to defend its territory, which includes the occupied territories from 2014. However, this needs to be done very rational, very reasoned, uh, and, and we should in no way uh, uh, do anything that Ukraine feels uh, it can reach across its, its pre-existing borders. Uh, uh, into Russia. Uh, there should be no strikes into Russia. That is that is wrong and inappropriate. Even if we see massing of force, even if we see massing of any, any even the Iskandar uh, uh, short-range nuclear uh, ballistic missile, uh, we should preemptive strikes in this situation across the border into Russia are absolutely wrong and inappropriate and uh, would, would, would not do anybody any good except provoke worldwide conflict. The topic of an off-ramp for Russia seems to be taboo. Elon Musk recently weighed in and met with much backlash. He tweeted that Ukraine could give up some of its territory to attain peace. What's your take on that? And do you think an off-ramp, what could it look like? Uh, I, I never, I don't agree with telling any country to give up part of what was its sovereign terrain. There are some people who want to quibble over that. Uh, no, I think the borders of Ukraine are pretty clear historically, which includes the Crimea. Crimea is not part of Russia. It is part of the Ukraine. And it's all the retired uh, Russian generals, admirals, and senior operatives that have their retirement homes in the Ukraine. And I'm not being funny or making this up. That's, that's the real red line here. Telling a country to give up its territory is much like uh, the French Prime Minister Deladier and uh, Naval, Cham uh, Naval Chamberlain of uh, uh, Great Britain telling Czechoslovakia, you know, just give back uh, part, part of your country to uh, just give it uh, to uh, uh, the German leader. No, that is, that is net all that in does is encourage and emboldens a totalitarian regime to push for more. It won't, it won't work with Russia. It won't work with China. This is totally wrong and a very bad idea. All right, John Mills, retired colonel and former director of cybersecurity for the Department of Defense. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephanie. An honor to be with you. The White House said today that no new intelligence had prompted Biden's nuclear Armageddon remarks. And now to rapper and fashion designer Ye, better known as Kanye West, who made headlines this week for wearing a t-shirt that read White Lives Matter. In an interview, he explains the reason for wearing the t-shirt, and he ventured into other controversial topics as well. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. 
when hip-hop artist and fashion designer Ye, better known as Kanye West, wore a White Lives Matter shirt at his fashion show in Paris, the backlash came swift and from many places. I had uh, uh, someone call me last night and said anybody wearing a White Lives Matter shirt is going to be greenlit, and that means that they're going to beat them up if they wear it. And I'm like, you know, okay, green light me then. <laughs> In an interview with Tucker Carlson on Fox News, Ye explained the reason for wearing the shirt. So the answer to why I wrote White Lives Matter on a shirt is because they do. It's the obvious thing. He alluded that God created everyone. Then he explained why he thinks the shirt is so controversial. The same people that have stripped us of our identity and labeled us as a, as a color have told us what it means to be black and the vernacular that we're supposed to have. Then Carlson asked Ye why he wore a photo of a baby sonogram on his necklace. Uh, it just represents life and pro-life. I don't care about people's responses. I care about the fact that there's more black babies being aborted than born in New York City at this point. That 50% of black death in America is abortion. They wanna kill us in any way they can. Planned Parenthood was made by Margaret Sanger, a known eugenics with the KKK. Ye went on to explain some of his struggles and how they helped prepare him for the future. That's what's happening is God is like preparing us for the real, for the real battles. And we are, we are in a battle with the media. Like the majority of the media has a, a godless agenda. Ye said he may run for president in 2024. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, in a vote that surprised many, the United Nations human rights body rejects debate on allegations of Beijing's human rights abuses in Xinjiang. And in golf, the ongoing saga between the PGA Tour and Live Golf continues, while the upstart league is thwarted from getting ranking points. That and more coming up. And Human Rights Council will not debate about China's treatment of Uyghur Muslims. It's only the second time in 16 years that a council motion has been rejected. In a rare move, the UN Rights Council on Thursday voted down a motion to hold a debate about alleged human rights abuses by China against Uyghurs and other Muslims in Xinjiang. The defeat is only the second time in the council's 16-year history that a motion has been rejected and is seen by observers as a setback to both the West's moral authority on human rights and the credibility of the United Nations itself. The UK, the United States and Canada were among those that brought the motion. US Ambassador Michelle Taylor and UK Ambassador Simon Manley both defended the need for scrutiny. The UN Rights Office in August released a long-delayed report that found serious human rights violations in Xinjiang that may constitute crimes against humanity, ramping up pressure on China. China's envoy had warned before the vote that the motion would create a precedent for examining other countries' human rights records. The motion is the first time that the rights record of China, a powerful permanent Security Council member, has been on the agenda of the Human Rights Council. 
In the end, 19 nations, including Qatar, Indonesia, the United Arab Emirates and Pakistan, rejected the motion for debate. 17 voted for and 11 abstained. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. The Upstart Live Golf League is currently staging their sixth event this year at the Live Golf Bangkok Invitational, which features a hefty $25 million purse. But one thing the tour is still unable to provide is world ranking points for their members. That's a huge problem, according to Golf Today's senior editor, James Ward. World ranking points, you know, as, as anybody who's followed this, is, is essential because that's your passport to get into the biggest events. In an attempt to achieve that, this week the Saudi-funded league announced an alliance with the little-known MENA Tour, which stands for Middle East and North Africa. The developmental circuit league, whose players do receive ranking points, by contrast, features event purses of just $75,000. However, the plan unraveled yesterday when the official World Golf Ranking Governing Board said it would need time to review the alliance before making a ruling and wouldn't do so before Live Golf's next two events. But Ward points out that because of Live Golf's unique 54-hole no-cut setup, even if they are awarded ranking points, it's hard to determine how many. In the PGA Tour, you have full fields of 150 players. They play 72 holes. They have a cut. Um, so, you know, the models of how points are awarded, even in the best of circumstances, you're going to need some kind of mathematician or somebody that's going to be able to break this down. Ward also says it's impossible to ignore the politics involved, as PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan sits on the official World Golf Ranking Board while his tour is countersuing Live Golf in court. Meanwhile, Liv already has plenty of obstacles of its own thanks to its controversial Saudi-financed backing. But Ward says when it comes to ethics, it's not all that clear-cut with either league. I mean, the PGA Tour has had events in China, and China has human rights issues. So to think that, you know, somehow this is a one guy wears the white cowboy hat and the other guy wears the black cowboy hat, that is so, that's just too simplistic. And finally, in sports today, the Cleveland Guardians beat the Tampa Bay Rays 2-1 in Game 1 of their best of three series. Meanwhile, tonight's matchup is a Mets-Padres clash with aces Hugh Darvish and Max Scherzer set to square off. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And an update on the baseball playoffs. Philadelphia scored six runs in the ninth to come from behind and top St. Louis 6-3. And in the later game, Seattle leads Toronto 4-0, now in the ninth inning. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.